It's almost Valentine's Day. Let Sam paint you a picture. The lights are dimmed. You've returned from a decadent meal. You're in front of a roaring fire on a luxurious bearskin rug, and you're about to make whoopee. It's only then you realize there is no lube in your whole house. How vivid. Head to adamandeve.com for 50% off almost any item and free shipping with special code HORROR, H-O-R-R-O-R. Happy Valentine's Day. Are you fucking kidding me? Hi, everyone. Hello, friends. Welcome to another exciting episode of I'm Horrified. I'm Horrified. I'm your host, Allie Rayner. And I'm Sam Buntich, also your host. Woo, we're here. We're met. Um, so, yeah, we hope you enjoyed our tiny mini-sode on Wednesday. It so was... So we're, we're back for more. We're back just... You were feeling too good after that, and now we have to make you really bum out. Let's drag you back to hell. <laughs> it's time. There is a movie, I think, called Drag Me to Hell, and I imagine that's what the sequel would be called, yeah. is Drag Me Back to Hell. Drag Me All the Way Back. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So today, I'm going to be talking about something that I've been thinking about lately because of a podcast I was listening to, which is a common refrain in our household, um, Mary Kay Letourneau. Who I know the name of, but I don't really know anything about. Oh, really? Which is really exciting. That'll be interesting. Sam, what are you going to talk about? I'm going to talk about Kingdom Hearts. Good. (laughs) Another thing that I've heard of, but don't know that much about. The content the listeners have been crying out for. Yeah. I'm going to give my opinion about the Kingdom Hearts franchise. Everyone else just clicked out of this podcast. (laughs) Like, I can't deal. This is going to be the most low-rated podcast we've ever had. (laughs) Because everyone will be like, I'm over it. Oh, I fucking stand by it. (laughs) Stay with us. Me too. All right. All right. But teach me about Mary Kay Letourneau. Because again, I know the name, but I can't think of like... What is their crime? Yeah. Like, I don't really know. Mary Kay Letourneau's case is fascinating to me. And uh, before I go any further, I should say that this segment comes with a significant trigger warning for sexual crimes, specifically statutory rape. I know um, who Mary Kay Letourneau so, is. Yeah, you remember now? Yeah. Um. So, but that's something to, I'm not going to shy away from details, so just be aware of that moving yeah. forward. So a, sh- a quick shout out to one of my favorite podcast ever which is mother may i sleep with podcast <laughs> uh hosted by molly mcalary where she just reviews lifetime movies nice um it is fantastic <laughs> uh i i highly recommend um expecting amish with georgia hardstark <laughs> Ooh, good one. Um, so she always has awesome comedian hosts and they just talk about shitty lifetime movies and it's it's fantastic so clearly they made a Lifetime movie about Mary Kilaterno, which is why they covered this case i've never seen that but i enjoyed the podcast episode about it yeah um and uh, I wondered whether or not I should do this because it is a obviously horrifying thing because it's a case of statutory sexual abuse and rape. So there's no questioning that it's awful. But we don't just do awful things that are awful. Yeah. <laughs> we usually have things that we want to talk about. And I was just thinking about it so much and I realized that I do really want to talk about it because the thing that really makes me queasy and confused about this cultural moment is... Like, just that, that it's a cultural moment. It's yeah. Not a, it's, not, it's not seen as, like, a crime. Mm-hmm. It's seen as a pop culture moment. Yeah. Like, John and Lorraine Bobbitt. It's very, very similar in tone. Yeah, for real. Um, It was, like, a punchline. It was highly sexualized in the media. Mm-hmm. And so I just really wanted to bring that topic into this space where we have, you know, this wonderful, thoughtful community yeah. to, like, break this down a little bit. And I feel like if there's anything we've learned, like, through all these episodes, it's been, like, re-examine the stuff that was just a brief pop culture lull. Yeah. Because often... There's more there. There's a lot more there. Um, so let's get into the sort of narrative of it. 
I'm not going to go into Mary's background that much because it doesn't really matter to me, but it did end up mattering to a lot of people who contextualized her crimes. So I will give you a little bit of information. She was born in 1962 in California to a very strict Catholic household. Um, her father was extremely Republican, so was all of her family, but he ran for president on the independent ticket in 1972. So that's a fun fact, I guess. But they were very Republican otherwise. Mm -hmm. Very Jesus-y, very by the books. Mary got pregnant out of wedlock in college by her boyfriend, Steve Letourneau, and her parents basically forced her to marry him because mm -hmm. of all the things I just said. So they went on to, you know, be married and have five children together. And she worked as a school teacher in the late 80s and early 90s in Washington mm -hmm. State, not D.C. So most narratives of this crime start when her victim, now husband, Billy Falau, was 12 years old. Oh, my God. When their relationship became sexual in nature. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's awful. Uh, but in reality, Mary met Billy when she was only eight years old in her second grade classroom. Ooh. That's something that people like to skim over. But no, she, you know, she met him when he was eight years old in second grade. He was a friend of her son's. They knew each other as he was growing up. <sighs> so that's like an even darker side of this story. Yeah, geez. That I think people, again, we just need to keep questioning, right? Why is that not an obviously known thing? Mm -hmm. Like, why do people kind of gloss over that? Let's move on. Yeah. So the way that their, you know, relationship <laughs> started, which they did have a friendship, mm -hmm. you know, that was obviously, you know, I, I'm not going to, it's hard because I, I want to keep kind of qualifying everything. This was a criminal act. So I'll yeah. just, you know, like, I'll just kind of move forward with saying the things that happened because, you know, at, kind of as they describe it. Yeah. Basically, because that's all the information we have. And they were, describe it as a friendship that blossomed into a relationship. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, obviously we know this is criminal. Yes. Um, So... Billy would often approach Mary at school, even though he wasn't in her classes, and talk to her and confide in her. Mm -hmm. Billy's parents were separated, and his father was incarcerated. Um, so he lived with his mother, and Mary actually knew his mother, and, you know, like, they had a relationship, like, mom to teacher, which, ugh. Yeah. Um, they would work together after school, and sometimes at Mary's house on art projects, because she was sort of, like, tutoring him in art class. Um, and anecdotally, Billy has talked about how he and his classmates made a bet that he would sleep with Mary. Like, they would talk about, like, oh, she's such a hot teacher. Like, you should try to have sex with her. And that was, like, anecdotally, he sort of talked about that. You know, the kind of thing that 12-year-old boys would talk about. <laughs> and that's, so. you know, not cool, but perfectly acceptable for a 12-year-old boy to yeah. be joking about like because that's of not course confusing. because of course an adult woman would never do anything about it yeah that's the undertone yeah um so yeah so but mary who is <laughs> pretty dumb but that's not an excuse um moreover than that she's a criminal um she starts engaging in like mutual flirtations with billy so there's these two what do you have a common with a 12 year old i have no idea um but so there's this kind of double edge to this of Billy has this personal relationship with her and, you know, Mary has reciprocated that. They have a mutual trust, a mm -hmm. sense of trust that has been built. And um, Billy also has this kind of joking vibe with his friends of like, oh, she's such a hot teacher. Yeah. You know, I'm going to get her in bed. Like that was kind of this mm -hmm. joking thing that kind of became serious. So she then starts, you know, 
befriending him even more, sharing that flirtation, confiding in him about her marriage. Ugh. Um, all sorts of things that teachers and adults should never do with children. Yeah. And when Mary was 34 years old and Billy was 12, their relationship became sexual. Oh my gosh. And this is by Washington and every other place's laws, statutory rape of a child. Mm-hmm. Um, so this contact continues for several months before a few things happen. One, Mary and Billy get caught by police in her car together, but they manage to sort of talk their way out of it. She's like, oh, I'm his teacher, it's fine, but the police officers were kind of like, this seems weird. Mm -hmm. Then Mary's husband finds letters that she wrote to Billy, which, why would you do that? And so he knows what's going on. And then a relative of her husband's tips off the police. Uh So it's not really clear how that came to pass, but a family member of Steve Letourneau's contacts the authorities Mary Letourneau is arrested yeah um at the time she is arrested it becomes clear that she is pregnant with her and Billy's first child <gasps> oh my Audrey. god yep um at this point the case is already receiving national attention because it's like holy shit this is happening um and she's pregnant and so it was just this media circus but again let's keep let's keep our minds like turning like why did this receive national prominence you know, if it's a case that, like, unfortunately, we live in a terrifying world where these kind of things do happen. People mm-hmm. in powerful positions take advantage of younger children. Yeah. Who have confided usually, in them. But usually it is older men who are abusing young boys or girls. Yeah. So this shot right to the top of the news every single night. Um, and, like... The national news attention ended up being, in a lot of ways, like, weird as fuck. Like, radio shows are running segments like, teacher's pet. You know what I mean? Like, there's all these saucy, sassy news headlines. Mm -hmm. You know, even worse than normal nightly news. (laughs) And so, you know, it's just, it's getting this frenzy surrounding it. Yeah. Like, anytime women do something unwoman-like in a criminal way, it's like... All of a sudden, it's a Lifetime movie, and it's, Mm -hmm. like, it's crazy. But we'll get into that. So, ultimately, Mary pleads guilty to secondary rape of a child and receives uh, three months through a plea bargain. Wait, three months? Three months. Yeah. What? So, she... There was, like, a plea deal based on a lot of factors. Um, The fact... One of those factors is that Villy's mother was in court not really... I don't want to, like, misrepresent her... But she was kind of saying, like, my son wasn't raped. Mm -hmm. He wanted to be in a relationship with Mary Kay Letourneau, which one of those things is true. Yeah. (laughs) The latter is true, maybe. Yeah. Um, But, you know. Legally, it is still. Legally, of course, it is still. And also, you know, just ethically. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, but so that was, I think, a big part of the... Just because there was not an accurate understanding of consent or anything. So that's kind of what happened. Um, Absolutely baffling to me. But they're like, yep, three months in jail and then you'll be on probation like forever. So at this point, because the legal system is slow and she's, you know, been going to court for a while, she's had her daughter and then she goes to jail for three months. Two weeks after she is released on probation, what does she do? Does she get back with Billy? Yeah. So two weeks later... They meet up in a mall. <laughs> like, I just, I, many people have said that Mary had stunted development. Uh-huh. For lots of different reasons. Like, people have said 
that she was sexually abused as a child and that like, you know, her growth was stunted at the point of trauma or that she was just like slow. Like people have said all of this stuff that she has like a stunted mental age. And usually I'm just like, I just think she's a criminal and people want to make up yeah. excuses for her. People- but in this moment, I'm like, yeah, you're fully <laughs> you stupid. are not yeah thinking at the level of a 34 year old um but yeah so they met up at a mall which is crushingly dumb and she's arrested again and guess what she is pregnant again what yes in she just had weeks. the other baby yep um so this time use she was, a condom I just i can't this time the judge is furious with her uh why wasn't she furious before but the judge is like okay, we made a mistake, clearly, like, letting you off um, so easy, insanely easy beforehand. So she is sentenced to seven and a half years in prison, a term which she serves in full. Good. So the reason that she said she did this, she talked about this in a Barbara Walters interview later on. She said, and this is such bullshit, um, if I was on probation, I couldn't have contact with my children. Mm Mm-hmm. So I wanted to go back to prison so that I could, like, send my kids birthday cards and stuff like that. To which I'm like, what? That sounds like the weirdest. And that only took her seven and a half years to come up with that idiotic (laughs) excuse. But, like, that just sounds... Like, that's that's how weird she is in interviews. Like, she's very... She talks like a child. like, like Like a little kid trying to get out of stuff. It's very strange. So a few things happen while she is in prison. She gives birth to her second daughter with Billy while she's incarcerated, Georgia. And Mary's husband files for divorce and takes all their children to Alaska. Okay. You he, know I what? Think, he, I think, was kind of abusive, so, oh. like, that sucks for those kids. Yeah. Um, but, um, to her, at least. Um, I believe to this day none of her children speak to her, which, fair enough. Yeah. That's, a uh, few, within their right. A few books are written about this crime, some with their involvement, some without, and all based around the idea, not of crime, but of forbidden love. So, like, Ugh. one of them is called If Loving You Is Wrong. Ew. Yeah, that's a choice. If loving you is wrong, it's legally wrong. It's wrong. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's, let's, let's write that book. That's the title of my, uh, biography for <laughs> Kayla Turnow. It's so wrong. It's illegal, almost. If loving you is wrong, then we should not. Good. <laughs> we did it. Um, a very short book. Yeah, and I think the Lifetime movie that Mother May I Sleep With podcast covered is actually made while she's in prison. Oh, wow. So in 2004, she is released having served her full sentence. And Villy immediately files to have the no-contact order that was placed on his behalf reversed because he is 21 at this point. And so he petitions the judge to have her no-contact order against him reversed, and it is granted. The following year, when he is 22 and she is 43, they get married. In a huge 250-person ceremony that's covered by Entertainment Tonight. And so then, like, a couple of media circusy things ensue. Like, Billy is a DJ, and he and Mary host a DJ night in Seattle called Hot for Teacher. Ugh. Big yikes. Huge um, yikes. And they do a bunch of interviews and, you know, kind of talk about their, again, as they put it, love story, which at this point is a fully legal love story. Yeah. They have two children. They are married. Um, and in 2017, and then also recently, I think, again, they filed for divorce, but then reconciled. So I really don't know what's happening with that. There was no filing for divorce or anything up until recently. So they've been married for about 10 or 12 years. It's been a long time. So that's the narrative. Like, that's that's what happened. Ugh. So let's talk about what's terrible. <laughs> yeah. And so again, I'm gonna I'm gonna restate this, but 
obviously statutory rape of a child is unacceptable in any capacity. Yes. But that's not really what we're here to talk about. Mm -hmm. What we're here to talk about is, you know, the gripping part of this story to me is the public reaction and social context. Not dissimilar, as I said, to the John and Raymond Bobbitt segment that we did, which similarly was a case of sexual abuse and subsequent self-defense that became weirdly sexualized, fetishized, and like just blown up in this pop culture moment. So I want to think about two scenarios. First, what if the, you know, gender roles were switched and this was a case of a 34-year-old man raping a 12-year-old girl in a school scenario? And secondly, what if this case happened exactly as it did in 2018? Hmm. I think both of those have kind of logical answers, but I'm kind of curious about your thoughts of, like, what you think would be different in those scenarios. Well, I think... A true thing that I think um, does not benefit any sex is I think we give little boys, like, more, like, it's always, like, boys will be boys, and I think we give little boys more, like, sexual agency than we give little girls in a lot of ways. So in the first scenario, like, even if the 12-year-old version of, the the 12-year-old girl version of Villy had said, we're in love and I want to be together, I think the world would have been, like, no. You've been victimized. Yeah, you're a child. Whereas because, like, Villy was a boy... We were like, oh, well, you know, boys, they're horny, and they, like, we weren't giving him the benefit of a child because he was a boy. He's been given his manhood. Yeah. And his adult stamp earlier. Yeah. Which I think usually is, works to the disadvantage of, you know, girldom and how girls are often, you know, and again, gender binary is just nonsense, but he's kind of talking socially and culturally Mm -hmm. about, like, things that are placed on the role of a boy and the role of a girl. Yeah. Um... But in this Girl case... Girlhood is often shoved aside, and usually that's bad, but in this case, it's like, well, why are we making the choice that he's a man? Yeah. You know? Why are we giving him, like, that if he's mm-hmm. 12? Yeah. Like, I think if it had been a girl, the world would have been like, well, you're 12, so you don't really understand yeah. what you're talking about. But they're like, oh, well, you know, yeah. teenage boys. It's like, teenage... Barely. Barely. You know? So I think there's that. Um, and I like to think, I hope to think that we as a world have grown up a little bit and understand more about consent Mm -hmm. and understand more about, like, those power dynamics in relationships. And I hope that if this were to happen today, there would be more – it would be less, like, hot for teacher sexy and more like, oh, my God, what a horrible story. But then again, every day on this podcast, we talk about stuff that just bums me out. So it's like, how much hope do I have for the world? Yeah, and I think – And I've been trying not to shy away from the word uh, rape, which, again, we gave a trigger warning to that, but I don't like to use that word because I feel like I'm shying away from it. But then also, I feel like I don't want to sanitize what I say, and that's what this was. Yeah. You know? Um, And I think our understanding of rape as a concept as, you know, it's not something that happens to just, like, some helpless girl Mm -hmm. by some powerful crazy man it it can happen to anyone at any time at any time you know and we need to care for anyone who's affected by it that can be you know men queer men straight men Mm -hmm. old old men young men girls of every creed and color men of every creed and color like non-binary people non-binary people people. trans people anyone can be affected by this and I think there really was this pervasive attitude of, well, obviously men can't be raped in yeah. the 1980s, which is so harmful. And my hope is that we would, 
have a more nuanced understanding of what it means to be sexually abused. And then I think the other thing, the other part of this is that people were saying, you know, oh, well, Billy was a willing participant. And, you know, as far as he could be, there's an era of truth to that. Like, clearly he wanted things yeah. from Mary. But that, <laughs> it's like, children want things that are bad for them mm-hmm. all the time. Like, obviously, like, I feel stupid saying this, but it's like, I think that's also something like the vilification that we have put on younger children before. Like, that's hopefully fading away of like, you know, just because a kid goes with somebody mm-hmm. and then something bad happens to them doesn't mean that there's any kind of blame on them, yeah. obviously. And then there's um, like a whole nother level of like, Mary Kay Letourneau is a beautiful blonde white lady. And that played hugely yeah. into it. And Billy, correct me if I'm wrong, he's a person of color. Yes. He was um, Samoan American. Yeah. So like, that's that's very much a perception, I think, racially of like, oh, well... You know, he's already a man. Yeah. Like, he knows what he wants, yeah. basically. Um, Whereas if it had been like a little white boy, I wonder if, yeah. I don't know for a fact, but no, I, I wonder, wonder if that. the perception would have been different. Yeah. And I think it's just, again, like we said, like we need to put a, a harder magnifying glass on mm. this pop culture moment, this crime, yeah. this moment of history. Um, and yeah, I think it's like definitely sort of like a throwaway item of pop culture for a lot of people. But it says so much about what America was like at that point in yeah. terms of consent, mm-hmm. in terms of how we viewed rape, in terms of how we ver- viewed crime, mm-hmm. in terms of how we viewed sexual abuse, all of that stuff, agency, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, and the other thing that really sort of got my wheels turning was why does our society want to capitalize on sexual crime and abuse in any way we can? Yeah. Like, whenever we have an opportunity to run away with some sexy crime, Mm -hmm. like, as long as it's not so horrifying that they can't sensationalize it, like, Amanda Knox, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, John and Lorena Bobbitt, like, just there's so many, any Lifetime movie ever. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Why are we so thrilled when a situation is just okay enough that we can, you know, slap a headline on it, like, hot for teacher? Like, people, yeah. it's almost like we're salivating to sensationalize terrible, complicated things. Mm-hmm. Why are we so pulled to do that? And I, I see that in myself. Like, I want to read those articles. I want to op- I want to click on those things. Yeah. Like, what is this underlying desire in our humanity to explode other people's complicated pain. Yeah. Well, it's like when you're driving by a car crash and you slow down. Like, you just want to see yeah. the bad shit going down for someone else. Yeah. And I think it's also, like, we need to investigate, like, you know, how we talk about true crime. Mm-hmm. How we talk about, you know, there's so many true crime podcasts now. And we listen to so many of them. Yeah. I'm a huge fan yeah. of a lot of them. And, you know, our podcast is called I'm Horrified. We talk about terrible things all the time. What makes us pick certain things over others? Yeah. What is seductive about pain and and trauma and confusion and nuance and mm-hmm. all that stuff? And because all of that gets distilled down so hard because the la- like the last thing that history kind of remembered about this is like that hot for teacher idea. Yeah. Um, why are we so desperate to do that? And yeah. I think that that's something that I've just been left thinking about a lot. And so, yeah, I... I just, I'm fascinated with these pop culture moments. Yeah. And, you know, the, the last couple of ones that I've done, you know, the Bobbits and um, Nipplegate mm-hmm. is a really good example yeah. of one. 
you know. And we talked about um, North Korean cheerleaders, too. That was That's kind a really of good a one similar too. vein. Yeah, it's just this need to distill and capitalize on on things that, on pain that we deem as sexy somehow. Mm-hmm. Why are we doing that? Yeah. I don't have an answer. Me neither. So that's that's the most horrifying thing about this is that I don't know. Yeah. And we're going to keep doing it. And we still do it. We do it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so help. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody do something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would love if anyone, you know, has ideas and thoughts about this. Like, I think ta- just talking about it is is healing in some way for sure. Mm-hmm. So I just think it's something that we should revisit. Yeah. So that's the story of um, Mary Kay Letourneau and Billy Falau as it stands. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing. No problem. And yeah, that's so again, much more than I knew about it. If um, you need to laugh about complicated things, please go listen to that Mother May I Sleep With podcast episode um, because the Lifetime movie is just bonkers. Wowie. <laughs> so um, it's worth a listen. Hey, horror honeys. We hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, we hope you'll subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter at I'm Horrified Pod. Your support means the world to us. And if you're not enjoying the show, why are you still listening? Maybe you do like the show. All right. Um, my thing is stupid and not important. Good. So do you want to talk about that? I'm, I'm so excited. I need oh, that. God. Because I feel confused and conflicted and like, yeah, oh, about some of the, just going down the tubes. The big questions. But let's not think about the big questions. Let's think about Kingdom Hearts. Let's think about Kingdom Hearts for a minute, you guys. So. We have something for the gamers today. Yeah. Bump simple and clean and listen to this podcast. Let's do it. When I was in middle school, uh, and into high school, I think even, my friend Liz and I were really into Kingdom Hearts. Uh, And specifically, Liz was really into it, and I was really into watching her play. Because she was better than me at it. Uh, but the plot is very silly, and anytime you're with your friends is a good time. Mm-hmm. So highly recommend watching someone play Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, I, I watch <laughs> a lot of people uh, play Mario Kart. Yeah, it's Lovely. pretty fun. So anyways, Kingdom Hearts as a concept is pretty weird. So it's a mashup of Disney and Final Fantasy characters. Okay, I'm, I'm just going to say right now, I know it's a game, and I don't know anything else about it. Absolutely. Um, so you're familiar with Disney. Mm-hmm. Final Fantasy, just imagine, like, a lot of anime-type things. Got it. Like, Shout out to, um, uh, Are We There Yet? Yes. Our, our anime podcast of choice. Yeah. So you play as this anime-looking boy. His name is Sora. And you're, like, living on this island, and then, like, the darkness of the world gets released. You get pulled away from all your friends. And you fight with this giant key, which is called a keyblade. You fight with a key? It's a giant key. It's like a sword. But it's also a key. Oh, it's what you fight with as your weapon. Yeah. I thought you you fought it. No. <laughs> Got it. No, you fight with it. You like, could. it's your weapon. No, your key sounds, blade. That sounds better. Um, And your best friends are Donald Duck and Goofy. So it's you, a small anime boy with a giant key, Donald Duck and Goofy. Okay. And you're going to different fairy tale worlds and anime worlds. And you're fighting the darkness in people's hearts, which are usually like these little... Um, this little, like, black animal-looking thing that takes, like, three whacks of the key to kill. Oh, that's kind of nice that yeah. you're taking that away from people. Right, so it's, uh, it's very silly, but very fun. So if I only have good things to say about this game, why am I talking about it here on my podcast of bad things? You might be wondering. I am wondering that. It's because the sequels to this game, uh, have just been absolute bullshit. <laughs> And so... All right. This is a safe space. We're going to get it out right now. 
So Kingdom Hearts 1 comes out in two, in 2002 for PlayStation 2. What do you think comes out next? Kingdom Hearts 2. You are wrong. It is actually <laughs> this weird game called Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories. Like remembering the first Kingdom Hearts. In a lot of ways, yes. So it's um it's this game that takes place like in between Kingdom Hearts 1 and the as of then unreleased Kingdom Hearts 2. And it's for Game Boy Advance, not PS2, which the original Kingdom Hearts is for. So that means that if you want to play it, because you're a big fan and you want to get that content that's going to inform Kingdom Hearts 2, you have to have a Game Boy Advance. That sucks. That sucks. Because, like, their whole fan base might just have this one console. Exactly. But you know what? A Game Boy Advance is fun. Maybe it's fine. And then in 2005, Kingdom Hearts 2 finally comes out for PlayStation 2. Okay. So great. And that's the end of that, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Wrong. In 2006, they begin working on Kingdom Hearts 3, the logical end to the Kingdom Hearts saga. Got it. They start working on it, as I just said, in 2006. Allie, when do you think the game came out? 2007. It's springtime of 2007. Spring 2007. Um, It's actually January 29th, 2019. As in... Wait, what? As of the release of this podcast, it will have been out for less than a week. Are you fucking kidding me? No! It's just it's, coming out. out yet? No! As we record this now, it's not out yet. <laughs> no, it's not. Where are we? So, here, I'm about to just read in a list all the bullshit that has occurred between Kingdom Hearts 2... And Kingdom Hearts 3. And Kingdom Hearts 3. In 2008, we get Kingdom Hearts Coded. It's an episodic mobile phone game. So you need a mobile phone if you want to play it. Okay. And it picks up directly after Kingdom Hearts 2. So this is new main storyline content. You have to play it if you want to understand the But how is that not just the third of the Kingdom Hearts? It's not. It's Kingdom Hearts Coded Alley. It's different. Okay. Sorry. I'm so sorry. Then in 2009, we get Kingdom Hearts 358 over two days. You might be thinking that's the most complicated title I've ever heard, and you'd be right. Is it a fraction? (laughs) It kind of is. So this gets released uh, for the Nintendo DS. Note that that is a whole new system. So if you want to play this game, you have to buy a Nintendo DS. And it's set between Kingdom Hearts and Kingdom Hearts 2. And um, this is some confusing words. So in Kingdom Hearts 2, um, you you start the game playing as just like a totally different guy you haven't met before. His name is Roxas. And then you find out that Roxas was actually like Sora's heart that got displaced from his body. And he's been taken in by like this organization called Organization 13, which is a bunch of bad guys. And then he realizes that he's like a part of Sora. He has to go back and like rejoin with Sora. And that's level one of the game. I'm confused. So in this 2009 game for DS, you just are like playing as Roxas for a long time. So it's really important to the plot of the game. So now I have to go buy a fucking DS. Then in 2010, we get Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep. Gross. Which is how I feel every night when I go to bed. Um, So this is a prequel series, and it's released for the PlayStation Portable, a new fucking system. This is like seven different consoles that you need. So this game is set ten years before the events of Kingdom Hearts, which reveals the origin of the main villain, Xehanort. That's his name. That's not his name. It is. Xehanort. Which means if you fully want to understand the Kingdom Hearts universe, you have to go buy a PSP and play this prequel game. Then in 2012, 
you get Kingdom Hearts 3D Dream Drop Distance. I just wanted to say for the audience that Sam is fully out of her chair, like gripping the sides of the chair in fury. So this is for the Nintendo 3DS, a new system. How many systems are we up to now? Like just five. let's do a quick count. Okay, uh, PS2. Okay. Game Boy Advance. Two. Then we had uh, a mobile phone game. Mobile so you need phone a phone game three. A Nintendo DS. Four. Oh no, I think we had a Nintendo DS already. Yep, yep. Uh, PlayStation Portable. So that's four. And now 3DS, which is a new game thing. Five consoles so far. Five consoles so far. So this focuses on Sora, our main character, and his best friend Riku. They're doing their Mark of Mastery exam under the wizard Yen Sid, which is Disney backwards. Um, no, it isn't. Yeah, it is. Let's shut this down. <laughs> I cannot continue. <laughs> That's true. He's the wizard um, from the, uh, the, the Sorcerer's Apprentice thing in uh, Fantasia. His name is Yen Sid, and he also appears in this game. Get fucked. That's so stupid. <laughs> so, um, so it's like you're taking, you're trying to become a master of the Keyblade, and then also um, Xehanort is returning, and they're fighting with all these ga- villains of the past, and it's supposed to take place between Kingdom Hearts 2 and the fabled Kingdom Hearts 3, which has not come out yet. So, if you want to understand Kingdom Hearts 3 when it comes out, you have to buy a fucking Nintendo 3DS. I'm now starting to believe that Kingdom Hearts 3 is, like, the concept of Nirvana. Like, you're never supposed to actually reach it. You're just supposed to strive for it. Yeah, it's a lot like that. Now we've got Kingdom Hearts HD 1.5 Remix. No. For the PlayStation 3, a new console. Okay, six consoles now. (laughs) So this is kind of like a re-release of Kingdom Hearts 1, with, like, high-definition, um, like, images. Okay. It also includes content from Chain of Memories and 358 over two days, and just enough bonus content that you still need to freaking buy it. Then later in 2013, you get Kingdom Hearts Unchained Weird X. The way they pronounce that is, like, key, but they're trying to do, like, a like a Greek letter chi, but they pronounce it, like, key, like, keyblade. Uh, it's a little confusing. I just say X. But imagine a fancy X. They must be keeping these poor, like, game designers in, like, a windowless shack and just, like, forcing them to come up with all of this nonsense. I know. So Kingdom Hearts Unchained X slash Kai slash Key um, is a mobile game. So, okay, you already have your phone because you had to buy it for a hundred games ago. And it takes place even before the events of Birth by Sleep during the Keyblade War, which you start hearing about in the first Kingdom Hearts. And the whole time you're like, what is the Keyblade War? Why do they keep referencing this Keyblade War that happens hundreds of years ago? I'm so curious. So now you can know about the Keyblade War, but you have to play this long ass mobile game. This is, like, in the Lord of the Rings, like, if you want to go even further back into, like, the biblical nature of, like, the Silmarils being collected. And you can, like, go all the way back, but, like, do you want to? Do you want to? Do you want to read that? Then we've got, in 2014, Kingdom Hearts HD 2.5 Remix, which is the high-def version of Kingdom Hearts 2 and Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep, again, with just enough bonus content that you end up having to buy it. And then here comes my least favorite in 2017. Kingdom Hearts HD 2.8. 2.8. Are you fucking kidding me? Final chapter prologue. <laughs> this is like, sounds like a joke. I know. It sounds like he was just like, I just got to release another fucking Kingdom yeah. Hearts game. It's a prologue. It's 2.8. This sounds like a subreddit having fun. I know. And so this is an HD remaster of Dream Drop Distance. 
and then as uh, Kingdom Hearts X Kai Ki, like a version of that, and then a version called Kingdom Hearts X Kai Ki Back Cover, which is a cinematic retelling of the story. And then there's Kingdom Hearts 0.2 Birth by Sleep, A Fragmentary Passage, which is brand new content with some of the characters from Birth by Sleep, meaning there's enough background information here that you have to buy the fucking game. Oh my god. So, <laughs> we're coming back. I really stopped playing after uh, 358 over two days. Like, that was kind of when I stopped watching Liz play. Um, so, I did not have to deal with a lot of this bullshit. But as you can see, the games have really gone off the rails in terms of, like, how many they are, there are. Uh, but also, I've been Googling the plots to these games I haven't played yet, and they are crazy as well. Here's an example. In the first one, the bad guy's name is Ansem. And at the end of the game, you have to beat Ansem. Ansem, like handsome. Kind of. (laughs) Similar. That's all I'm getting from this. Which is, that's a pretty normal game, though. There's a big bad. At the end of the game, you beat the big bad. Great. Yeah, like when you play guitar with the devil at the end of Guitar Hero. Exactly like that. Exactly like that. It's exactly like that. So in the second game, it gets a little bit more confusing. You find out that the guy, Ansem. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just keep hearing Ansem. I'm sorry, continue. (laughs) You should Google him. Um was actually just the darkness in a heart in the heart of a different guy, Xehanort. And then you defeat the soul of that guy, who is also going by Xehanort. I'm with you. So that's confusing, but okay. Fine. Here's a sentence about the bad guy in Kingdom Hearts 3. This is from the Wikipedia. Returning antagonists include Master Xehanort and his various forms. No. His heartless, Ansem. His nobody, Zemnus, his youthful incarnation, young Xehanort, and his primary vessel, Terra Xehanort. So there's like 18 fucking Xehanorts in Kingdom Hearts 3. I do not like this. What? How do you do that? I'd like for you to be my primary vessel if I'm ever in video games. (laughs) Thank you. And that doesn't even mention the other guy named Ansem in this game, who is a good guy. And he sure is Ansem. (laughs) Anyways, thank you for listening to my TED Talk. Um, (laughs) If you start a game... I just wish I could see the faces of the people (laughs) listening to this right now. If you start a game on one system, you should just finish it on that damn system without making a ton of bonus content for other systems. Like, say what you will about Call of Duty, but they keep it pretty simple. <laughs> yeah. I'm horrified. Oh my god. Oh my god. I didn't even This is like one of these things which I love about the show is that <laughs> I, you know, in my wildest dreams I couldn't imagine being upset about something like this. Yeah. But here I am. I'm upset about this. Thank this is you. wrong. This is wrong. And it's it's exploitative of the fan base. Yeah. It's exploitative. Cuz they really are. And like like when I was describing the first game, right? It sounded like what a stupid fun thing to do. <laughs> Right? Like, what doesn't a, that sound pleasant enough? Yeah, what a dumb, fun thing to do with your friends. So, like, a lot of people love this series and they end up having to shell out for all these different systems, for all these different games, for repackaging of old games with just enough new content that you're like, well, yeah. I have to buy it. It's cause... such an obvious cash grab. I know. Which is something I feel like they're sometimes doing to the Star Wars franchise. Mm-hmm. Even though, oh, what was it called? The offshoot. Rogue One? Rogue One was good. Rogue One was very good. But um, I heard, I haven't seen Solo. I heard it was bad. I heard it was middling. All right. <laughs> but also, like, they should know that we don't care about Han Solo's origin because he's Han's, as long as he's we, Han Solo. All we care about is Harrison Ford. Yeah. In that case. Yeah. 
fight me. Fight yeah. me on Twitter at I'm Horrified Pod. I'm also really not interested in Boba Fett's origin, and you can fight me about that. <laughs> Come at us, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. Um, I, uh, my brain hurts. Yeah. Uh, but thank you for this service. Yeah. I you... think you've vindicated a lot of people today. I really hope I did. If you're a fan of Kingdom Hearts, I hope you agree with me. Again, like, I was a casual fan. Yep. So maybe you're a major fan and you're about to, like, text us and be like, text us like you have ourselves. You're about to tweet. It's 617. (laughs) You're about to tweet us and be like, actually, Sam, those were all worth the money. Like, maybe I'm wrong. No, tell us. Which is okay. This is, can I make a prediction? Yeah. I think uh, 80% of people who listen to this are going to text us because they have our phone numbers <laughs> um, and be like, uh, why are you doing this? Yeah. Um, are you, do you guys need sleep? Yeah. And the other 20%, maybe just 20 people. Yeah. Are going to be like, thank you <laughs> for seeing me. Yeah. Like they're finally freed. struggle. Yeah. And you have given them a gift. And you've given me so. a gift. Oh. And, you know, all I'll say is this is why we do what we do. It is. It's for the hard-hitting <laughs> it's stuff. A call- it's a calling. It's a Not calling. Not the complicated questions of uh, sexual consent when it comes to Mary Kay Letourneau. No. No, it's the Kingdom Hearts content that um, we're most proud of here on I'm Horrified. I feel confident saying that we did the Lord's work today. <laughs> and so with that sentiment, this week, we hope you stay horrified. Stay horrified. Stay horrified.